0: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel
1: and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience, and gas like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at Home Depot.com.
1: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
0: Spectrum Internet has enough speed to handle all your needs so you can work, game and stream with speeds up to a gig. Plus, Spectrum's advanced Wi-Fi provides enhanced security for all your connected devices. Get Spectrum Internet with fast and reliable speeds, starting at just $29.99 a month with a two-year price guarantee. Visit spectrum.com slash internet for you for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Restrictions apply.
2: What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael the Pod Peanut. Now, Michael, I'm going to ask you a simple question off the top, okay? And I want a simple answer. Are you fed up with all of these NBA playoff scenario proposals, the World Cup style group play? Oh, we're going to expand to 20 teams. Oh, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. We got a flood of ideas and proposals. Seems like everyone has a plan, Michael, except for uh, Adam Silver at this point, who's weighing everybody else's plans. Are you fed up with this discussion? Uh, You know, I I sense a little bit of fatigue from some quarters on social media and and from some of our emailers. I'm right there with them, man. I'm having a hard time just maintaining the energy or the focus or the interest in peeling back all of these layers. What's going on, man? How are you feeling about these proposals?
1: I'm a little sick of of just the, the the variations that are out there, all these different new ideas. I mean, I, I understand the value in being open-minded and wanting to, I mean, this is such a delicate issue with so many different competing agendas. You have to get so many different important and powerful people under one roof if you're Adam Silver. But at the same time, when you have, you know, all these different voices in the room and you have Mark Cuban giving his thoughts, you have... Uh, Damian Lillard, uh, you know, complaining about whether or not he would want to participate in certain formats. It's just, it's getting really complicated, and I hope that they come to a resolution soon. And whenever I talk to anyone about this, it's kind of just like wake me up when we know what's happening. And that's kind of the, the where I'm at right now with all of this. 1000%.
2: I'll tell you part of the reason why I'm frustrated is because it's like the boy who cried wolf. We always play all these uh, hypothetical games with the NBA and format changes, play in tournaments and midseason tournaments. And oh, we're going to do the one to 16 reseeding for the playoffs. I mean, even during good times, these kinds of conversations are a little bit tedious if they never actually come to fruition, right? But these are not good times. I mean, these are kind of horrible times. And so to have these same old drawn out conversations, but even more complicated, as you're describing at this particular moment, it feels kind of damaging to the sport. Like, I don't think it's good for the game that we're all sitting here weighing various proposals and publicly and they're being leaked from this person and that person. To me, it's a giant distraction and it's a turnoff. I don't understand exactly how the NHL can come out and just go, boom, regular season's over. We're going straight to the playoffs. Here's what the format is. We're all on board. It's all done in a basically a span of 24 hours. Well, the NBA has to have this caucus. You know, It's like the Iowa caucuses where we're hearing from every single person about their ideas. It's kind of killing me, man. And um, I just think that the NBA's approach here is, uh, in general, Adam Silver's heart's always in the right place. He wants to be that uniter. He wants to make everyone feel heard. He wants to canvas all the best possible ideas and bring people together. But I feel like we've reached the moment. I even think uh, the head of the Players Union, Michelle Roberts, said that this week in an interview with uh, with Ramona Shelburne of ESPN, saying, "Look, like it's been two and a half months. We're ready for some clarity. You know, it's go time." Essentially, was her message. And I think that's absolutely right. And and yet the reporting that we're hearing as we tape this on Wednesday, Michael, is that it could be quite a while until they come up with an idea. I'm not sure it actually needs to be as complicated as they're saying it needs to be. I understand everyone has competing interests. There's always competing interests, right? But to me, it's sort of this is the moment to be a little bit more of a wartime commissioner, right? You just tell everybody, Mm -hmm. look, the bottom line is our league is in a crisis, right? We can't have fans for an undetermined amount of time. That's a huge percentage of our revenue. We have to put something on television. We have a serious health situation that could risk, uh, you know, player health. But we want to play games uh, so that we can kind of keep this thing going along like normal. Uh, we don't have to start over from scratch with the collective bargaining agreement. We want to protect the players as best as possible. And here's our plan to do that. I just think we need a little bit more executive leadership from the very top, uh, you know, where this is sort of not being dictated completely, because obviously, uh, you know, there's been quite a, a long period of, of listening to everybody's interest. But I think it's time to make a call here. And I just don't get the delay. And I think the more time and confusion that there is, The harder it's going to be to win some people back in in what's already a complicated and and weird situation, right?
1: Yeah, can I just say, like, this whole thing is kind of like a microcosm of what the entire country is going through, where there's this sad, depressing conflict between financial ramifications and health and safety and it's just such a bummer that we're kind of there and i mean not to single out mark cuban but he did have a proposal that he wanted to publicize and in it he has all 30 teams competing because uh you know it, 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 he wants to make as much money as possible for the league and i understand that but if you have all 30 teams go to Uh, Orlando you just you increase the odds of an outbreak happening and people getting sick and uh, I think the worst case scenario is you start this thing up and you start playing games and then all of a sudden someone gets sick and uh, maybe there's an actual outbreak and you have to just kind of cancel it that would be a total disaster and so, can I can I kind of lay out to you
2: the the pitch that
1: I would give yeah. to Adam Silver if I was in a room with him?
2: Absolutely. So, let's say Adam Silver calls you up, Michael, and he says, you know, I know that you're real plugged in. You're one of the most prominent podcast hosts in the NBA sphere, you know. I sure. need to I'm I'm canvassing <laughs> all of the brightest minds, right? And now it's your turn on the call with Adam Silver. What is your best 60-second pitch to him? What do you think the priority should be? What are you trying to get him to do so that uh, you know we can make progress here and not feel like we're just you know churning with these same old, same old debates?
1: So my thing is to keep it as simple as possible. So first of all, I'm scrapping the regular season. And when the actual regular season was suspended, I just didn't even consider that ever coming back. It didn't make any sense to me, and it doesn't right now. So all the 16 teams who... Would have otherwise qualified for the playoffs when the, the year was put on hiatus back in March. Those teams are going to compete going forward. Uh, you know, the World Cup format, which I think we can talk about in a few minutes, is just too confusing to me and it leaves too open too great a risk for the best teams not appearing in the finals, which is really, really important. I think a play-in tournament adds too many people to the, the campus-like atmosphere uh, that, uh, you know, it, we just talked about, you know, health and wanting to prioritize that as much as possible. So 16 teams, and here's kind of the, the change that I have that I think would be really interesting. So you fly them in, 16 playoff teams, and then you televise a draft in which the top eight teams based on regular season winning percentage get to pick their first round opponent. What do you think about that?
2: Um, I've heard that scenario brought up in in previous uh, you know playoff discussions. Why do you think it makes sense here?
1: Well, I think it would drum up interest first and foremost because people would love to see the spectacle of you know first the first pick or whatever would be. The Milwaukee Bucks getting to choose who they want to play in the first round, and then you have the Los Angeles Lakers getting to select who they want to play in the first round, and so on and so forth. And just that is just maybe a night or a two night event on television, televised by whoever TNT, ESPN, and that's just going to draw a ton of eyeballs and it's going to drum up a lot of uh, drum up a lot of excitement. And uh, I for one would be super interested in it, and I think it would also. Create uh, different narratives that the league, you know, uh, that are tangentially related to the league that we haven't had that would be really interesting and get us excited for possible matchups and uh, maybe spark some rivalries. So that's just like wonderful to me. And I think at the end of the day, with I, I understand the, the 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 downside of not maximizing as mu- as many games as possible and losing money that you could otherwise. Earn, but in my opinion, you have to look forward to 2021 and 2022. And what your goal should be here is to as safely as possible and kind of as quickly as, p- as possible, just crown a champion and move on. That's, that's kind of how I view it. And this is a good way to uh, keep people interested and, uh, you know, again, drum up uh, some excitement in a, in a non-on-court fashion
2: so we have pretty similar advice look if adam silver called me and asked here's what i would say remember your priorities and remember who's making you the money right who the real money makers are and we know the priority is get to a finals with your biggest superstars healthy that's the priority if you want to get the tv money if you want to crown a champion you've got to do that if you're adding in regular season games if you're adding in this play-in tournament if you're adding in 30 teams and everything else you're only making it more complicated, and you're only distracting from that particular goal, uh, which would be to crown a champion that people are going to look at as legitimate and that people are going to want to watch in high volume on television. That's the the end focus. From there, I'm right there with you. My message to Silver would be: land the plane, get in and get out as quickly as possible. Right. So, uh, don't needlessly confuse things. Don't even do what you're suggesting. In my opinion of the reseeding and all of that top eight from the west top eight from the east that's what people are used to don't change the rules midstream right the pandemic has already done enough damage to your league don't do any more self-inflicted damage don't confuse the players don't confuse the fans don't make everyone rethink all these rules and turn this thing into a sideshow just keep it simple like you've mentioned Uh, that would absolutely be one of my things and my other uh, piece of advice for him would be everyone who's upset right now, who's angling for their own best interest and everything else will get over it. This is a pandemic, right? There's more serious things. If they happen to get snubbed from the playoffs because they weren't a top eight seed, it's going to hurt. They're going to be a little bit raw about it. But as soon as there's competition again next season, their focus will change. It's okay to be the bad guy every once in a while. And it's okay to just, you know, put your your foot down and say, this is how it's going to be. Michael, I'm curious Does what I'm describing sound a little bit like David Stern to you? Do you think maybe Stern's just general approach of uh, my way or the highway, which I think got a lot of criticism at various points of his tenure, could actually be sort of what Adam needs to lean on here?
1: It's really difficult to just kind of wonder what David Stern would do in a situation like this. I think that Adam Silver better understands the need to get the owners obviously under one tent and under one roof and an agreement, but then also well, not alienate players and sow seeds that will sprout a labor dispute some point down the line. So, I I, I
2: mean... No, I know, but I, the, I the players what, have to feel heard at this point. I mean, they're doing all these conference calls, you know, they're, they're exchanging ideas. They've been a part of this process the whole way through. Like, I definitely get that, but... You know, at some point with Stern, you would always know where he stood. And right now, we've got a lot of muddled uh, problem. And it's uh, what you're saying as a reflection of overall society. Everyone's mad right now because we haven't gotten enough direction from the sort of the central authority in our country right we it's not a clear message it's not being repeated we don't not every state's on the same page the best practices aren't necessarily being followed from here and there um people are feeling underwhelmed and and vulnerable and everything else right like now is the time for very clear direct uh forceful communication because that's what people are looking for and it's natural to be looking for that during a time of crisis now of course these this is just sports this is just for fun but the same communication principles apply. I just can't imagine David Stern being like, oh, let's float out some soccer World Cup qualifying plan for the playoffs in the middle of this entire mess, right? When everybody's just trying to get their lives in order and come back together, it just makes no sense.
1: If I had to guess, I would say that David Stern is definitely more in line with your what you suggested. It's basically just, we've got the top eight, on both ends, both conferences, and we're just going to have the playoffs like that is what I would assume he would do. I can't, I mean, I maybe there's a possibility where he would entertain maximizing revenue and uh, bringing all the teams back and playing, just, you know, putting his foot down and forcing guys like Damian Lillard and, and whoever else, Bradley Beal, to compete in five or seven regular season games and then fly home, and even though there's no chance of them making the playoffs, um, that I could also see happening, uh, For because sure.
2: and on that one, though, I do think this needs to be framed like, uh, in this particular way you don't want mm-hmm. to be penny wise and pound foolish, right? If you go around chasing every last dollar, you try to set up every single game, you bring in all 30 teams, there's a significant added risk by doing that, right? And as I said. Ultimately, what people actually want to watch is LeBron versus Giannis in the finals. That's what is going to really move the needle. These first-round matchups, as we see every single year, they don't get the world's best ratings. People aren't that fired up just because it's the NBA playoffs. I mean, it takes a while for them to build momentum. Once you get into the second and third round, sure— but even with 16 teams being there, you could argue that that's more than the a- the average fan actually needs or wants. Um, and every year we hear complaints, oh, the first rounds are too long. They should be best of five games. This is so pointless. I mean, people get bored of those matchups because they're so lopsided almost instantly, right? So every extra layer you're adding to that is taking away from, you know, potentially having a fully healthy finals and to me that's why it makes no sense it's like okay i understand guys like mark cuban or like the you know the uh, the version of david stern that you're painting you know trying to maximize revenue um would say okay we've got to do as much as we possibly can i mean to me you go chasing that small stuff and one of your star level players winds up getting sick and has to sit out for two weeks. You've just shot yourself in the foot completely. I mean, the entire thing uh, has backfired. And it's not the absolute worst case scenario, which you were describing, which is an outbreak, right? But if you lose one Mm -hmm. of the three or four teams that has a real shot at contending, because you were messing around with these preseason games and trying to bring all 30 teams here and everything else, you're going to feel like an absolute moron when that happens. Because it's, you know, it's going to be how we all felt when you know, Kevin Durant went down with the Achilles. Like, oh, God, well, this defines the entire series. This defines the entire playoffs, right? And so that's why I think, like, you know, it can be as, as complicated as you want it to be, right? Um, and I just don't think it needs to be as complicated as it's gotten here. Uh, on Lillard, particularly, do you think he has a point, uh, Michael? Do you understand where he's coming from? And just to recap, he told Yahoo Sports Chris Haynes that basically if there wasn't a meaningful chance for him to qualify for the playoffs, if it was just a shortened regular season or a play-in thing, the Blazers weren't able to actually um, get themselves into the playoff bracket, that he would participate with his team, but he wouldn't actually play in the games because it would be pointless. Uh, do you understand where he's coming from? Is this just a negotiating posture to try to force the, uh, the league to include the Blazers? Uh, or What did you make of his comments?
1: I empathize with his situation Uh, from reading that article. I mean, he is prepping like the season is going to come back for him. He's preparing his body. He's running two a days at the practice facility at 6 a.m. He's, you know, wind sprints, steam room therapy. He's on the Peloton bike (laughs) as much as he can. So to do that work and then not be able to come back and and lead his team to the playoffs would be a bummer. And so. I get that, and I, I don't think that he deserves any real criticism for the things that he's saying. He makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't want to come back and play five or six games with no chance of, of them having any real meaning for my team's season beyond, like, earning a paycheck, Um But at the same time, like, I just also don't think that he should even be in the situation to begin with because the Portland Trailblazers were, what, three and a half games back of the the eighth seed, I believe, and like, his team just wasn't good enough to make the playoffs before the season ended, and that isn't his fault necessarily. He's had a great season, but injuries to Yusuf Nurkic and Rodney Hood and Zach Collins, those are just part of the game, and it just kind of is what it is. I think that the Blazers, even if they did make the playoffs... Uh, You know, he had he in that article, Damian Lillard spoke about how, hey, there's a chance where we could get in and then we could end up in the Western Conference Finals. And like, honestly, that's not even what like that's not even really like a best case scenario for the NBA. And it's also just not very realistic, in my opinion. So I think the Blazers and and Dame should just kind of get ready for next season.
2: Pack it in. Yeah, I don't think the NBA owes them anything. You know, it's like bottom line is, look, this is a an act of God, right? Uh, something completely out of our control. We got roughly 80% of the season in and you weren't good enough, right? You can always just go back to that standings and say, sorry, man, like you weren't even close. Like there's a, there's a sliver of a scenario where you come out and have this Western Conference things that you're describing, right? But the math and history says that's not going to happen at all. Um, you know, we rarely see... Uh, you know, seven and eight seat upsets uh, in the NBA, right? It just doesn't usually happen. Um, and again, that goes back to my idea of, of why overcomplicate these things. If you're just trying to squeeze teams into a playoff bracket and they're going to be eliminated in the first round pretty quickly anyways, at least most of them, what's the benefit? What's the point? Um, you know, are you really generating that much revenue by doing that? Uh, I'm not convinced. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that it, the, the message to Lillard should be, we understand you, we respect the, that you want to compete, um i'm even you know relatively sympathetic to this idea that like look if if you're out of the mix you know similar to like the gold state warriors or the timberwolves like yeah it's completely fine to rest your stars in that situation and so i'm not going to hold it against him if he doesn't want to compete um you know or doesn't want to play in those games but the basic message here is just tough luck you know and and i don't think that they should be you know orchestrating this entire playoff bracket uh, to make him feel better. You know, I just think that, look, he's had a lot of success in the playoffs. His teams have qualified and earned their right before. They will again, you know, probably as soon as next year. This wasn't their year. You know, tough years happen. And, uh, you know, again, this is not something that uh, anybody wanted, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to affect them maybe a little bit more than some other teams. But hey, that's that's how it goes. That's how it, sh- that, that's how it shakes out. And
1: I just want to say, like in a perfect situation, Dame should like, it would be awesome if Damian Lillard was in the playoffs. He's provided some of the greatest moments in the past, what, five, six, seven years, uh, you know, uh, buzzer beating threes that have ended series. Like he's a-, a primetime performer. He's one of the faces of the league. I love watching him play basketball. Uh, and it just, it, that's just kind of how it shakes out this season. It, it, like it is in a perfect world. And so, uh, I, I just, yeah, I don't think that Portland should or deserves anything that some of the other teams that are in that same situation wouldn't get either
2: well one other team in that spot is new orleans right and this is one where you can understand the the kind of the business-minded people that why they would want to get into this whole idea of let's have a play in tournament let's expand the playoff bracket because zion williamson proved this season that he really moves the needle right i mean it's basically zion and lebron are the two players that are really, really able to capture large television audiences? I mean, Steph and Marcus, used,
1: Mar- Mar- Marcus,
2: smart too. Come on, Michael. This isn't about your extended family. <laughs> all right, this is about the real NBA superstar le- level guys. But just trying to keep it real. Um, not having Zion in your playoffs definitely harms the bottom line. It definitely changes what your TV viewership numbers were. And if if there's any justification for trying to expand. Uh, the playoff bracket, uh, it would be look. We need the money badly, and Zion is uh, basically a cash cow at this point of his career. Millions of people tuning in just to watch him. Does that change you at all, Michael? From you know our sort of agreed upon idea of you know the, the sixteen team playoff. Keep it simple. I mean, right now I believe they were like tenth or something like that um, in the Western Conference is there any way you could, you know, kind of, uh, you know, create a little loophole, you know, a Zion Williamson loophole to try to milk him for, uh, you know, whatever it would be, five, six, seven, eight nationally televised games?
1: I mean, look, I want to watch Zion Williamson play basketball as much as the next person, but like, I'm not going for this at all. I think, first of all, ratings, uh, I think we'll be through the roof regardless. I mean, the appetite for sports is just, it's humongous right now. And as we saw, there was this like a uh, golf match between Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning that had like six million viewers or something on television over the weekend. Like people well, want to watch sports uh, right now.
2: Let me ask you, though, uh, put a finer point on that. Are you sure? I mean, like, look, if we get LeBron Giannis in the finals, I agree. But if we're getting Toronto, Orlando, right? first round, are we sure people are watching that, right? Are you completely sure that there's going to be this boost of interest? (laughs) Like I know life isn't great right now. We're all stuck in quarantine and everything else. But you're saying Toronto, Orlando in an empty gym with, you know, CGI fans or cardboard cutout fans and piped in noise. uh, I'm not necessarily taking those audiences for granted, man.
1: Look, no one knows anything right now, uh, now as ever. But I think that, that look, there are two other points that I want to just throw out here for why I think this would be a mistake. I mean, it's he's a rookie, and uh, it would be just disrespectful to different veterans around the league if you were, I mean, look at like someone like Dame or, um, I'm trying to think of like a, if there was a player on a, on a worse team that was not able to play because maybe like someone like Steph Curry or, or Carl Towns or whoever um, who well, did not kind of qualify for this special yeah. treatment and you gave it to Zion. I, I, that would not sit well throughout the league, I would think.
2: Well, so Zach Lowe's proposal was essentially like kick all the Eastern Conference lottery teams out and allow the four <laughs> Western Conference bubble teams basically in. And so that would, you know, you mentioned Beal earlier. That would basically be like telling Beal sorry, like you know, you don't matter, and you know, we're we're kind of finagling this thing to let a rookie in, like you're describing. And, and a rookie, by the way, who only played what like twenty something games because he was injured half the season. Um, you know, at, at that point, does the image of the league just become too money hungry, too too driven by you know you know too thirsty for television ratings? One
1: hundred percent. And also, I mean, are the Pelicans going to play Zion thirty five minutes a night? It's like, what is his, what are the minutes restrictions? I think they would be super cautious. I just, I don't think it's a, it's a slam dunk proposition. And it also just does a lot of damage, more damage to just the status of the regular season and how it's perceived by casual fans. If you're just going to throw the New Orleans Pelicans, which were not a good team this year. They just weren't. Um, If you're just going to throw them in and give them the same odds and say a world cup format or a play in tournament or whatever, um, as some other teams who perform better throughout the regular season, then that just spits on the regular season. And I, I that's not great.
2: Yeah, I mean it kills me already that we have under five hundred teams making the playoffs regularly, especially in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, it's just so much weaker out there in the East, Michael. But um, you know, this idea <laughs> that we're gonna be like, oh yeah, let's let's do an entire tournament of losing teams that we can kind of like line up for the slaughter against good teams. It's just just bothers me to no end i don't we're just too forgiving you know i just again goes back to adam silver just bang the gavel make your decision and we move forward hockey just showed you this week that you can do it without really any major blowback so do it
0: this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge (sighs) is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum,
1: you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be.
1: just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
0: Oh, that's such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room.
2: Have we reached the point here where it is time for Adam Silver to kind of come out here and and give a little speech, right? I mean, I just feel like these ideas have percolated. They've, you know, announced formally last week that they're going forward with this plan to try to return in Disney World. Um, We're getting, you know, secondary voices like Lillard and Cuban and these other people kind of coming through. Um, to announce things, we have seen a few commissioners just do the Zoom phone call type thing and say, "Hey, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, here's the, kind of the state of things." Have we reached that point uh, with Adam Silver? I believe they're going to do a GM call on Thursday, and they're going to do a Board of Governors call on Friday. Um, the latest reporting um, from from ESPN's uh, Adrian Wojnarowski is there's not going to be an imminent decision on format or anything coming out of those meetings. So it sounds like that's still ongoing a little bit. Do we need to hear from the commissioner? Is it time for him to try to get this, you know, all you know, back in line and, um, you know, communicate directly with the fans and say, here's what our priorities are. Here's how we're trying to do it. Uh, here's where we're going with our plans. Have we reached that point?
1: I think so. I mean, there's a lot of momentum right now for the league. happen. I think people now assume that basketball will be played at some point over the next few months. And so it would be really great to hear one singular voice cut through the static and let people know what is going on. I mean, there was a, a line in Adrian Wojnarowski's most recent article on ESPN Uh, If anyone tells you the NBA knows exactly what it's going to do, they're probably ahead of themselves. And to read a line like that and kind of jibe it with the the momentum that is taking place uh, with all these different proposals and everything, it's just – it's very – Muddled, very confusing. I would personally love to hear Adam Silver be as clear and as forthright as possible. I'm sure he's just waiting until he knows what he, he what the plan is before he speaks, and then he has to walk something back.
2: Yeah, and it's okay to come out and say, "Hey, guys, give us until June 15th. If that's what you need, if that's what you feel like you need, right. have that be the first line of your speech." Um, hopefully, we get a little bit of greater clarity here over the next few days so that we're not quite as frustrated. But look, I feel a little bit better, Michael. I got a little, you know, some of that stress (laughs) off my chest as we talked that through. And I'm glad you and I are actually mostly on the same page. Uh, We got one question from Ben. He writes in uh, from Australia. Would the NBA be willing to move the finals to a safer country like Australia rather than risking their league at Disney World? Australia can currently boast very low Almost zero cases of, uh, of COVID-19, and I believe Australia should take advantage of this safe environment and sell it to international leagues. When I sent this email on May 27th, Australia has a total of 7,133 cases and 102 total deaths. Australia could quite possibly be the safest place in the world right now. So I think we're hearing from, um, you know, Australia's version of the State Department, Michael. I don't know. They've uh, <laughs> clearly they're on a campaign to, uh, you know, bring international commerce uh, to their shores. We have some obvious time zone issues, I think, with trying to do that. Um, But he raises an interesting point here, like the Disney World uh, idea is a good one, you know, and I was actually impressed by sort of how they laid it out, as I mentioned on the episode earlier this week, but it's not really maximizing player safety, is it? I mean, there's other outside the box solutions that they could probably pursue if that was truly their number one goal.
1: Yeah, but it's not. I mean, sadly the whole point of putting this on isn't to be as safe as possible. It's to make money and to recoup lost revenue, which again, I understand, but that's just what it is. So having something in Australia, as you mentioned, like the most obvious problem to me is the time change. So, you know, it's they're fourteen hours ahead of, of uh, Eastern Standard Time, they would have to play At 10 a.m. in Sydney to give the United States an 8 p.m. tip, like I just don't, (laughs) I don't think the players would be too pumped about that. I don't know how the logistics would work. I that one is just it doesn't seem very realistic to me.
2: No, I hear you. Um, I like where his mind was at though. I thought it was a a very creative solution um, from him, Ben. How about this? How about Michael and I? Come to Australia and we podcast from there, taking advantage of the safest place in the world to podcast. Maybe we can yes, just please <laughs> get down there. We can join our many amazing Australian listeners. Uh, hopefully, it's good weather right now. I, I don't know exactly how the um, the seasons work. Actually, it's probably winter, right? Because um, they're just completely backwards with everything. Um, <laughs> no offense, Australia. Uh, in any case, we got another question here. Chris says. Hey, Ben and Michael, thanks for providing us with quality content during a time when we all need it. I just recently found out that my podcast app keeps statistics, and what do you know? The Open Floor podcast is number one where I've listened to a total of five days and 17 hours worth of your episodes. I've attached a screenshot if you're interested. Chris, I believed you when you told me, but I appreciate the receipts. Thank you for sending that in. He goes on to say, My question is about players who won both a scoring title and a championship in the same year. Since 1960, only three players have done it. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, and Shaquille O'Neal. Do you think any current player has the ability to accomplish this feat? So Michael, take a step back on this question. Why do you think this is? Is it just a random uh, situation? Do you think there's something underlying this phenomenon? And then go ahead and and take your best swing. Who is the, the next scoring champ to win an NBA title? And please don't say James Harden.
1: Yeah, first of all, uh, shout out to you, Chris. I love this question. Thanks for listening. You're the best. Um, I mean, just speculating, maybe there is a correlation between one guy taking a bunch of shots in a team sport and his team maybe not doing as well as they otherwise could if he were less selfish. That just might be a possibility for this. I don't know if that's true or not.
2: But I have... Well, I might go the other way. I might say that the scoring title people are on weaker teams and thereby their teams rely on them to score as much as possible to kind of exert their own maximum influence. And then ultimately those teams get to the playoffs and they just sort of get exposed as maybe being a little bit too easy to guard. Whereas if you are on a more talented team surrounded by better players, you're more versatile, you can kind of adjust a little bit. And, you know, you're not as dependent on one, one particular guy. Does that make sense? No, for sure. Um,
1: what's interesting, if you just look at the leaderboard for this season, uh, I mean, some of the scoring leaders are on some really good teams. And so I know you said you, you didn't want me to to mention James Harden. He is on my short list of possible candidates. Uh, what's really fascinating is that Giannis, I mean, the season's been gone so long that I didn't realize just how good Giannis Giannis' year was statistically. Uh, Well, guys like you, Celtics, always (laughs) underrate Giannis, Michael. Come on. Sure, sure. Um, (laughs) I love Giannis. Uh, He is currently uh, third in scoring, 29.6 points per game, and he's obviously doing it you know, not playing as many minutes as some of the other guys on that leaderboard. So, I mean, he's the the obvious, like, right. first number one draft pick here, right? Well, that, like, that's a real
2: wrinkle, though, isn't it? Because in a previous era, Giannis is the NBA scoring champ this season, and probably last season, too, right? If he's playing yeah, yeah. 38 minutes a night, you know, or, or whatever it would be. I mean, he's, um, you know, an obscenely high volume scorer in that situation, but he's almost being limited because the smartest teams are saying we don't want to put that level of a bird on a guy on over the course of eighty two games. So that's a wrinkle that we just didn't have to deal with back in, you know, Jordan's day or Shaq's day, right?
1: Right, exactly. I mean well, we did learn in the last dance that Jerry Krause was trying to sabotage Michael Jordan in his second season. But besides that one outlier, I would say <laughs> what's really fascinating is just the yeah, Giannis he's on this team that is um You know, it does have some other talented pieces. It does kind of live on this idea where, you know, he wants to draw attention, then kick out, kick it out to the three point line and all that. Um, So for him to average nearly 30 a night, third best in the league uh, playing, you know, 30 minutes per game is incredible. And he's also on arguably the best team and most likely to win it all. So, yeah, he's he's kind of stands out head and shoulders above everyone else for something like this. But I have a couple other names. Uh, who I think could do it potentially at some point over the next, let's say, five years. Um, I don't know how long your list is, but uh, so I have Giannis easily number one penciled in, well, and then uh, I have
2: after Harden and Giannis, I have yeah. a one person and really a one name. You know, it's a oh. one, it's a one word answer. But uh, go ahead, I'll I'll take your list first. Oh, interesting. Um, I
1: have I have Anthony Davis on this list. Ooh, Wow. And yeah, and he is ninth currently in scoring, twenty six point seven points per game. Uh the reason why I have him here is number one, you know, you're assuming that he re signs in LA and he plays with LeBron for the next few years. LeBron doesn't have some major drop off, but LeBron does seed more of the scoring that he was responsible for this season and as he does so Anthony Davis kind of takes another leap forward um I could totally see him this will sound like a
2: very hater response Michael Mm -hmm. I want to see Anthony Davis NBA scoring champ get his team into the playoffs before he wins a title (laughs) Uh, I mean I don't know if I'm scarred by some of those New Orleans teams and just how ineffective they were and i mean he had some great moments actually in the playoffs where he is emerging as the number one scoring option just looking absolutely devastating but i just feel like he's still on that like burden of proof like he's on the wrong side of the burden of proof like he's gotta he's gotta show me that he can do this but uh i guess if he's if lebron's averaging 14 assists in your scenario life is pretty easy for anthony davis he's just feasting constantly they could still be pretty good
1: yeah um next up i have uh, this is, uh, I don't know if this is a stretch or not, but I'm going to put some respect on his name. Uh, Kevin Durant.
2: Ooh, we gotta, I like it.
1: We, we, yeah. We got to see what he looks like, obviously on the court and how he'll hold up and all that. But I mean, this guy is just, it, it's like when healthy, he's just unstoppable, man. I just don't want to be So it, in, like, in
2: hindsight, don't you think that they should have tried to pursue this model in 2017 if you're Golden State don't you make sure KD eats first and often? Like, you bring him in and you say, Look, Kevin, like, we know you're going to add a lot to what we're doing. And what we're doing is great. We want you to average 32 points a game, the easiest 32 that's ever been averaged. And you're going to be the scoring champ, right? Wait, and-
1: wait, wait, wait. Can I just like counter there real quick? Like, the whole point,
2: ostensibly, of him wanting to go to Golden State was that he didn't have to do that, though, right? Well, I mean, he he was going to have an easier time winning. I think that was part of it, right? But don't you think that, like, I mean, everybody, especially scorers like him, everybody wants shots and touches. And ultimately, I I think he felt by the end of it that he was overly marginalized, right? He was in Curry's shadow. Uh, He had to kind of fight for his mid-post turnaround shots and Curry's offense, and he didn't feel like they necessarily respected him, or they they turned to him to bail them out rather than keeping him involved Mm -hmm. enough. Like, I I think he was underfed uh, rather than you know, enjoying, uh, you know, the, the benefits of playing on the super team, like by the end of it. So I guess what I'm saying is if if you had gone into that rather than saying you're joining our super team and, and the whole message had been, we're forming a super team around you now or an improved super team and you get to just score as much as you possibly want. I think Durant should have been on this list as a scoring champ who uh, also was on a title team. I guess that's my point. And maybe he would have been happier and stayed there longer if they had done that.
1: Perhaps. You are just spitting in Steph Curry's face, but uh, and he apparently would be okay with that because that's the type of leader he is. But I, it's that's just a tough one. Who knows what's I, I, going I, on in Kevin just, Durant's brain?
2: I'm just playing the long game. They tried to balance you know, too many competing interests, and I just think that uh, a lot of people wound up unsatisfied. Obviously, Kevin Durant, more than all of them, um, maybe they should have rethought that strategy. But it's a good one to mention here. I mean, are you saying, though, post-Achilles... Durant still could be the NBA scoring champ? Because that's a high, high bar now, thanks to Harden, right? Um, I mean, are you, are you anticipating Harden falling off, or how do you see this playing out?
1: No, I just think that I look at the, the roster that, I mean, we don't really know what Brooklyn's going to look like going forward or their style of play, but I would assume uh, that Kevin Durant will be highly featured. I would assume that they want to keep him as happy as possible so that he is not just on this one contract there and he's out in whatever, three years or two, whenever he can uh, opt out of his current contract. So I, I assume he's going to get a ton of touches. I know Kyrie Irving's also there, which would muddle this up a little bit. But I think the bigger question is, couldn't the Brooklyn Nets win the championship? Because that's kind of the other part of this equation. Uh, so that's why he's kind of further down
2: on the list. But did, did, was KD the uh, the mystery man on your list? No, sir. The mystery man on my list was Luka, Luka Doncic. Now, it might not be within five years, but I think he absolutely has the potential to be a scoring champ in the, in the same mold as Harden. I think if the NBA continues to evolve as it has over these last couple of years, and once this current generation of superstar level guys um, ages out a little bit, I think he's going to be the premier playmaker with the ball in his hands, you know, by a pretty comfortable margin when you compare him to other guys, his age, um, you know, once he's like 26, 27, there's a real chance he's just in a class by his, uh, of his own. Uh, I think Dallas, you know, their style of play favors him putting up huge numbers. He obviously mm-hmm. has the license, um, and the relationship with the coach that you sort of need, you know, the kind of the, you know, Carlisle is not really his Dan Tony where they're just like rolling the ball out and saying, going and you know do whatever you want. But he gets to have the the opportunity to make plays in every big moment, and uh, you know he's clearly the, already established as the man down there at a very very early age. Reminds me a little bit of when Harden first got to Houston, so I just think he's going to progress right into that uh, that lead playmaker mold. And then uh, you know the, the title part, they got a long time to build something around him, right? And they have a pretty good core already. He's he makes his teammates better. There's no question. We saw it this year. The hole was greater than the sum of the parts in Dallas. And so I guess if I'm saying, you know, which of these next generation guys can really check both boxes, to me, it's Luka Doncic.
1: I had Luka on my list as well. And I, I think it is not crazy to say that he could do this within five years, just from what we've seen from him and the competency of his organization. Uh, the other player I have listed uh, is, can I can, do you want to take a guess based on... Of what you know about me and all the conversations we've had as two well, friends it's either, who love basketball?
2: It's either Jason Tatum or Marcus Smart. <laughs> I'm going to, ooh, 50-50 here. Ooh, who could it be? Who could it be? I'm going to go Jason Tatum. You are, ding, ding, ding. That is correct. Um, I, yeah. It, well, that's it's, fantastic. He's going to accomplish neither.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think if you look at just how good the organization is, how good the team has been this season with him taking the lead role and... Uh, just, yeah, him, his offensive game is just splendid. So I have to put him here, uh, uh, given his young age and his potential, uh, yeah. I have a, a, a well, name. Can I, can I throw a name real quick at you that I, I did not include, but I well, think people might
2: throw on this list before we get there. I think Tatum, I mean, this is going to sound like a creepy thing to say. I mean, his, his body <laughs> is pretty tantalizing that frame, right? I mean if you're thinking about like which guy has a frame that if he adds significant amount of muscle, you know, and strength, uh, you know, five years from now, like what does he look like and how much more difficult is he to guard? Like I put Tatum on that in that conversation. Now he's not gonna be like this, you know, gigantic LeBron monster, but I still think he's got room to add real strength. And he's already done it. You know, during the NBA, I feel like he's transformed mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, that's that's where you could talk me into it. If you're saying like Tatum Five years from now, weighs 20 more pounds. It's all muscle. He's just plowing through defenses. Nobody can keep him off the free throw line. And he's just a, a complete, you know, just, uh, you know, terror around the rim. Uh, and he's started to show a little bit of that. Um, you know, now now I'm starting to think, okay, you're on to something, right? I, now, I, now I can kind of picture that. If it's going to be this mid-range and out stuff then that's where I'm a little bit more hesitant but I think that his ceiling is definitely super super high and you know people say similar things about Ingram just because he's so slender and like you just think like at some point he's got to gain weight I'm not sure Ingram like is ever gonna gain the weight that doesn't mean he can't be a really big time player and uh you know a big time scorer which he already is um but I think with Tatum I think his frame just you know it it adds a little bit more to the upside factor than maybe people realize okay who's the other guy Michael?
1: Uh, Yeah, no, just to real quickly add on top of that, like Ingram and Tatum and these guys, you have to get to the free throw line, and they do a pretty good job of that, despite their frames so far. But, okay, so the person I'm going to throw out here, I just feel like his fan base would get really upset without us mentioning him, and it's Joel Embiid, because the Philadelphia 76ers are a team that...
2: 0 for 2. 0 for 2.
1: Just shrugging it out. Okay, um, no, I can mean, I mean, uh, there's there's, there's I make a minimum a little... game
2: requirements to be the the NBA yeah. scoring <laughs> champ. I mean, let's, let's start there. Um, yeah, it's not impossible, but I mean, come on, Michael. Like, is this the honorable mention category that you're? It is. That you're just... Okay, it's that's literally
1: fine. the honorable mention category. Okay, yeah. fine. Um, All right. <laughs> I I think the Sixers just you know, they're not, they're not a bad team. They had a really weird year for a lot of reasons. If they were able to kind of retool or even if, you know, Joel Embiid found himself in a different situation where he could lead a, a team of more complementary players around him. Um, I mean, he just has like the, all the physical tools of leading the league and scoring and he should be able to do it. We saw basically no uptick from him this year. And it was wild, wi- like wildly disappointing. But, you know, if he were to actually diet, actually take care of his body, actually focus in the offseason in ways that some of his colleagues do, I, I don't think it's impossible that he could do this.
2: Michael, I'm a reality based person. You've got way too many ifs for me right now. Look, if pigs could fly, you know, <laughs> we, we wouldn't need Delta and United. But unfortunately, we're, we're stuck with what we've got. Um, so that's enough of that, Michael. Come on. You're, you're getting too much into fantasy land. Let's uh, take an interesting question here. You know, I was talking about physiques and tantalizing bodies and all this, and Keegan wants us to dive deeper, I think. He says, if you were to take into account height, weight, muscle content, quickness, and jumping ability, how many different body types are there in the NBA? Each body type group would be general, for instance, say six foot to six foot two in the 190 to 200 pound range, et cetera. How many different body types are there, give or take? And what are some of the rarest ones? Thanks for your time, Keegan. I think that you might want to just get NBA 2K and do the create a player thing, and <laughs> this could you know allow you to make your your different categories for body types. But I think that I'm interested in this question, Michael, just because of the body types we saw in the Last Dance. You know, I mean, shouldn't we pour out uh, pour out a little liquor for the Greg Oster tags of the world? Um, you know. The Luke long the Bill beers of the world. I mean, there are some body types that existed 20 years ago in the NBA, especially the big plotting centers, uh, the guys who are just going to foul Shaquille O'Neal and clog up the paint and, you know, do their best to, you know, hack, uh, you know, young athletic guards that have basically been phased out almost entirely uh, at this point. I mean, they just can't really keep up. So I'm curious, have you noticed any other body type or anatomy trends, Michael? I mean, this
1: question basically broke my brain. Um, I found it. Very difficult to separate body types from positions and from on-court responsibilities and skill sets. And I, I feel like there are hundreds of, of body types in the
2: NBA, honestly. Well, I think um, there, if you want to be really woke about it, there's 450 body types, Michael, because every human yes, is unique like a snowflake, exactly. right? I mean, there's yeah. no, no two are the same. With the possible exception of Markeith and Marcus Morris, every other body type is completely <laughs> independent. <laughs> No, I mean, like when you look at height and
1: weight and you try to classify guys like that, you get like for an example, Kyle Lowry and Eric Bledsoe are about the same height and the same weight. But I would not say that those guys have the same body type. Like one is chiseled and the other has basically no muscle definition to speak of, but they make it work. So I like, it's just, that's the beauty of it. I love guys who are unique like that, who, who don't, fall into the same subcategory, like a a Draymond Green or a Grant Williams or a Fred Van Vliet or uh, even someone like DeJounte Murray, who's like 6'4", 180 pogo stick with long arms. Like, I just, I don't really have a comparison for any of those guys. I mean, we talked about Zion Williamson earlier. There is no one who has ever looked or behave the way Zion Williamson does with his body Marcus Smart, Boban Marjanovic, uh, even James Harden to a certain degree. But again, I, I, kind of get a little confused when I'm like, I look at his body and I'm like, how many guys are, are look like this who just like, aren't good at defense. It's kind of, it's kind of like six, six or whatever he is just chiseled. But, uh, maybe doesn't have the wingspan. So uh, it's, I mean, I have some guys in different groups that are similar, but mostly I would say that there's just a lot of individuals out there.
2: Yeah. I think Keegan, um, is a tough one for us to wrap our minds around. I guess I want to just describe a few trends that I've seen. Of course, Mm -hmm. those big bodied centers are basically extinct, right? I mean, uh, there was a lot more guys who look like, um, Jonas Valanciunas, 10 years ago than there are today. And even a guy like Valanciunas has probably lost weight uh, compared to what he would want to, you know, typically play at because of the pace of the game, the speed of the game, and the need to cover distance, especially defensively, to be able to be agile and cover ground and and to do it quickly, or at least as quickly as you possibly can. Um, So I think that, um, you know, that's one major trend. I think you've also seen the rise of just sort of like the pure skinny athlete at that center spot. Um, you know, I, I think Clint Capello is like a real archetype. You know, there's a lot of guys who kind of fit in that category where 10 years ago, they would be considered weak and, you know, backup centers at best and probably not strong enough to hang. And they're going to get, you know, overpowered by Shaquille O'Neal and everything else. Like, that's become a real deal. I think you mentioned wingspan. I think that is a noticeable difference, too. I think there's been a major emphasis on length, particularly at really all five positions, but particularly on the three, fours, and fives, you know, in terms of being able to, with the ability to kind of close things down defensively with your long arms, cover space, um, and and be disruptive uh, on that end. I think in general, um, players are skinnier now than they were. 10 years ago, and they're certainly more fit, I I think, um, just because of the pace of play and because of the demands of, uh, you know, the pace pace and space style. Um, But past that, um, I I worry that we would be getting into uh, speculation or like, you know, just kind of cherry picking one example versus the other, because there are so many differences among these guys like you described.
1: Yeah. Do you think that, this is a conversation me and my friends used to have years ago, but Paul Pierce, (laughs) he, you know, great scorer, all-time scorer, um, could basically get whatever shot he wanted, but he just never, no matter what he did, could get muscle definition. And he always looked out of shape, be it like his, his arms were kind of flabby. You couldn't see his biceps, his, you know, face fat, little chubby face, um, do you think that player is even, like, first of all, is there anyone in the, I was trying to think about this, is there anyone in the league currently who is kind of like that, and then will we ever see someone like that again, if not?
2: I'm not sure we have a great, I mean, like, Jokic is probably the the chubby superstar of the moment, um, right. and even he, like, his whole season he spent just dropping weight, right, and everybody got really excited because he was a lot better when he lost weight. I'm not sure we're going to see it unless the pace changes, right, um, uh, and I think that, look, if you're a talented player like that and you can get away with it, then you're okay. But like, I think if you're Paul Pierce in the modern NBA, you're feeling challenged to transform your body and you're rising to the challenge, right? You're just saying, look, like I'm more talented, more skilled as a scorer than just about everybody else who's out here. So what else do I have to do to my body to get myself in a situation where I can dominate? And you know, it's not like some magic formula. You got to be in the gym four hours a day like LeBron. So that's what a guy like Paul Pierce would do, right? So I think that we have seen a real professionalization of the year-round workout routine. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of star-level players just basically not drinking, not smoking. I mean, that's one major takeaway from The Last Dance. I couldn't name a single NBA star who would ever even consider having a cigar every single day, let alone the chomping on them constantly like Jordan. Um, Do you you
1: remember when uh, Clay Thompson had that Coors Light? I believe it was after a playoff game a few years ago, and it was like a semi-big deal. It was just kind of like a hilarious Twitter viral moment, but like comparing that to... Uh, Because people were probably like counting the
2: calories. They're like, oh my God, (laughs) Clay, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Meanwhile, it's a little bit different from uh, NBA superstars in the 90s. So Keegan, I think that goes into some of it. I also think we're seeing more interchangeable body types too. I think that we're seeing um, the desire for multi-positional players, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, you're seeing the rise of like the 6'6", 6'7", guys who could play two, three, or four, um, and, you know, who are generally pretty long, and you know, all you're asking them to do is shoot three-pointers. Uh, I think that that's uh, an archetype that there just wasn't as many of those types of wings, uh, say, 20 years ago, because it wasn't as prized uh, of a position. All right, we got another question here from a guy who calls himself the greatest ability, which I love. Uh, he says, Why does everyone mention that Jordan went 6-0 and in the finals as a reason that no one can ever be better than him? For the record, I'm not saying... MJ isn't the GOAT, but it always seems weird to me when people compare other players like LeBron or Kobe to MJ and then they say, well, MJ went 6-0 and LeBron didn't. But when you look back at all-time playoff records, they are actually much closer than what people imply, particularly with that 6-0 title. I would love to hear if you guys agree or why you think a 6-0 finals record is the most impressive record, even if MJ lost close to as many playoff games as other all-time players. So basically what he's saying is 6-0 and implies absolute perfection in the postseason, and yet there was numerous instances, especially early in Jordan's career, where he's uh, you know exiting early in the playoffs or just not getting over the hump, whereas maybe guys like LeBron and Kobe had a greater total of long uh, postseason runs, especially with LeBron making the finals obviously eight times in a row, and yet he doesn't get credit for that. Do you think the 6-0, and 0, which is sort of the, uh, the ace up Jordan's sleeve in a lot of these arguments, do you think that's an overrated uh, piece of his, uh, his resume, Michael? Or, or do you agree with our questioner who wants to uh, dig into it a little bit?
1: It's wildly impressive to go 6-0 and in the finals. Uh, I think some of those finals were a little bit closer than Jordan was remembering during the last dance. But yeah, saying, hey, I went 6-0 and in the finals is a lot more impressive than saying, hey, in 13 playoff appearances, I went 6-7, and which is the reality. It's, it reminds me of... People who say that Joe Montana is better than Tom Brady because Joe Montana went four and zero in the Super Bowl and Brady went six and three, like what? I just don't understand that logic at all. You you completely gloss over not even getting to the the, the championship game. Like, I, how is that discounted?
2: Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, the the Montana one, it just the idea of never lost in the big game, uh, that's definitely overrated. I think with Jordan. It's both sides of it that are impressive, right? It's not only did he never lose on the biggest stage, so he has this air of inv- uh, invincibility, but it's also the six, which is a hallowed number in the NBA. It's just not very many people get up. When we saw in the title celebration where he's, you know, drunk, you know, again, speaking of uh, their habits back then, you know, sitting next to Pippen on the training table, and he just keeps repeating, six of them, six of them, you know, <laughs> and he's just like having the time of his life. I mean, it even seems like in that moment, he can't wrap his mind around actually winning six, you know, even though they were favored to do it and he came through and did it. Um, So I think that that's why that finals record uh, is held up. I mean, there's just nobody else you could really compare it to other than Russell. Uh, And so many great players uh, have had losing records in the finals from LeBron to Jerry West uh, and the list goes on. So I do think uh, guys like LeBron, who have a very high number of finals appearances, deserve a lot of credit because ultimately that shows the level of consistent excellence that, that Jordan kind of embodied throughout the 90s. And we should give them credit. But also, you know, that, that's a complicated question because, you know, LeBron's going through a pretty weak East year after year after year. Um, and, and Jordan really wasn't. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the, the conference balance was more uh, in the East favor back in the 90s than it has been lately. And so, you know, it's just kind of, you know, I just don't find the LeBron counter argument of total final appearances uh, overshadowing Jordan's 6-0 and finals record.
1: Are you, how, how much are you loving just the bi-weekly Jordan questions we are inundated with right now?
2: No, I've got five more of them right here, Michael. Do, <laughs> do you want them? I mean, look, we the, the listeners can't get enough of the Jordan talk, and I respect it, and I think it's a sign that, you know, some people are coming to these types of questions for the first time, just, you know, generationally, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's good to revisit. Uh, just remember that in those finals appearances, you know, it's he went 6-0, but it's also the six finals MVPs, and I think that needs to be underscored, too. Um, you know, that it just shows a level of a domination that guys like, you know, Kobe wins five titles, but he's not five-time finals MVP, right? Um, LeBron could actually have been in that category. If he won all of his titles, you know, he's always going to be the finals MVP, but very few players are able to achieve that level of mastery. Um, And certainly that's why it's become a a signature of of the Jordan legend. All right. I'm going to fast forward here, save a couple of these these Jordan questions for next week, Michael, because I want to get to... Uh, a follow-up question from our guy Jake on Instagram, okay, Michael? And he's responding to something you said about the nasal swab test that you underwent, which you said brought tears to your eyes, was the most painful experience of your life. Um, and you said that basically you would need millions of dollars, uh, an MBA level salary, if you were going to have to get a nasal swab every single day during the NBA playoffs once they resume at Disney World. Jake writes, my wife went into labor on Saturday night. The hospital made her do the nasal test. Somehow after giving birth, she didn't think that test was such a big deal. Your description had her cracking up. So Michael, you've got uh, a recently pregnant woman laughing at your lack of pain tolerance. I got another message from Cecilia in Australia who said, I also had the nasal swab test and it didn't hurt nearly as bad as Michael described. <laughs> I don't know if that's because I just put, put more things up my nose than the average person when I was a child. So she's thinking, she's giving you an excuse here, Michael. It's perhaps, you know, she was, uh, you know, a little bit adventurous uh, when it came to exploring her navel, nasal cavities uh, as a child. So, Michael, what do you have to say for yourself? It seems like the women of the world, well, at least two of them, are clapping back um, on your description of the nasal swab test has it caused you to reassess things in any way
1: I just gotta call it like I I feel it I am a huge baby obviously my wife I told her about what I said on the episode and she laughed and then she listened to it last night and was cackling in our bedroom Uh, I was in the other room and I could hear and I ran in and I was like what's so funny and she's like just
2: listen to your podcast and you're a fool well, so stop so, right there. First of all, can you <laughs> thank her for me for actually listening? That's a real level of dedication. I appreciate that. What made her laugh? Was it the your tears? Because if so, Michael, this could be a counseling moment. I mean, this that doesn't sound healthy. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a great dynamic here, Michael.
1: No, it's, it's the... I, I honestly... She was really disgusted by my incredibly low pain tolerance, which she knows about me, I guess, and... Uh, it, it, uh, yeah, she was, I think she was more embarrassed for me than anything else. And she couldn't believe that I was that forthright, um, on a podcast, listened to so many people throughout the world. And well, look, uh, that's, that's bad just co- how I got to
2: keep it bad coaching by her. I got to say, I tend to believe your description, Michael, you were very convincing. You don't strike me as a particularly soft person. Um, you're clearly putting up with severe emotional bullying from your wife on a regular basis. So you've obviously got some pretty thick skin on that front. But I want to open this up to the open floor glow, Michael, because I know we've got other people who have undergone this test. Can you guys please email us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And I either want you to punish Michael or pity Michael, all right? Let us know how bad that test actually was, whether you could relate to what he was describing and then maybe also tell us how many free throws you could make after undergoing that test, because Michael said he could basically make, what, three or four out of ten? Give or take. Yeah, and I think the pregnant woman actually made ten out of ten, so that's uh, that's tough for you, Michael. <laughs> uh, she's out there like Mark Price. But uh, answer that part of the question, too. I'm very curious how bad this thing was now that Michael's laid it out. Um, you know, frankly, I don't want anything going up there, Michael, so I'm trying to stay as symptom-free as possible all right michael we're going to double back next week to answer some more of these jordan questions we got a bunch of other ones too um, and so we'll look forward to that Uh, until then though guys be sure to check out that podcast we released with jack mccallum and his new podcast project called the dream team tapes i I think you'll enjoy our conversation we covered a lot of ground he was very insightful and funny as he always is you guys can find michael on instagram at and twitter at michael v and victor pina i'm on instagram at on twitter at ben Gulliver. also check us out on apple Podcasts by searching for open floor that's two words when you find our page scroll down it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy to help us spread the word michael until next week i will talk to you talk soon ben
1: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see
0: Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary
1: breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2023
1: An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly... Shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places.
2: The instinct, right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian-trained, high-ranking officer in the Secret Service. An Assassin Comes to Town, a six-part podcast... Available now, wherever you get your podcasts.